0: Awesome. So this morning, church, I have a privilege just to share a particular scripture that I've just been wrestling with um, the past couple of weeks. And as I just spend time um, talking about it, you're going to get to understand why I wrestled with this particular scripture. So I'll be reading from Matthew 15, verse 21 to 28. It says, Then Jesus left Galilee and went north to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Gentile woman who lived there came to him. Pleading, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, for my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Then his disciples urged him to send her away. Tell her to go away, they said. She's bothering us with all her begging. Then Jesus uh, said to the woman, I was sent only to uh, to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. But she came and worshipped, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, It isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, That's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat scraps that fall beneath their master's table. Dear woman, Jesus said to her, Your faith is great. Your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. So just quickly judging by your shocked faces, probably all you heard was, flip, did Jesus just call someone a dog? Pretty much that's all you heard. But let's just spend time and let's just look at this, let's look at this scripture from a historical context. So if we just start with the first verse, it talks about how Jesus left Galilee and went into a region of Tyre. So Matthew, wrote the book of Matthew. And what Matthew is trying to just tell us at this point in time, he's just letting us know that Jesus basically has left Jewish territory and he finds himself in Gentile territory. So Gentiles were, were, were people that were just not Jewish people. So a Greek person or any other race that was not Jewish people would be called Gentiles at that point in time. And Matthew at this point is just saying, just giving us an idea that Jesus is going to another region. He's going to meet different people. He's going to meet different cultures. He's going to probably meet people that have a different language. And the Gospel of Mark actually uh, describes this woman as a Greek lady. And we see how this Greek lady calls Jesus Lord, Son of David. Now, if this lady had just said, Jesus, or if she had said, Lord, that would have been fine. But the fact that she used the term son of David, that was actually quite quite interesting. And it's interesting because son of David was a popular Jewish title, which actually meant the rightful ruler of Israel. Just to give you a bit of an understanding, obviously, if you read the Bible, you will get to understand that David was this amazing king. I mean, this is the guy that defeated um, Goliath. So, Uh, David has been, or or David was known as this big king. But then there was this specific prophecy that said, as much as David is great, as much as David or or people know David, there is someone that is going to come that is even greater than David. And if you read 2 Samuel 7, it says, and this was a prophecy that was given to David. It says, The Lord declares to you that the Lord Himself will, will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to su- to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne, his throne. His, uh, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with flogging inflicted by human hands. But. My love will never be taken away from him, as I I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. So we can see how she used a particular title that way as a Gentile person. Technically, she's not supposed to know this title. So at this point in time, we can assume that at some point in time in her life, As Jesus was healing people, as Jesus was continuing with this ministry, that particular title caught this lady's attention. And we can assume that because she had heard this title and she understood this promise, this particular promise leads this Greek lady to Jesus. And then as we continue, it says, but Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. Silence was what faced this lady. The disciple urges Jesus to chase her away, and this is what Jesus says, I was only sent to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. If you read that point blank, the first thing you're thinking is, wait a minute, is Jesus like discriminating people? So if we go back and just unpack this particular sentence, what Jesus is saying is if we go back all the way to Genesis 12, Genesis 12 verse 3, this was a promise That was given to Abraham. It says, I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So, if I try and compress about 600 years in about 30 seconds, we see this amazing promise that's given to Abraham and then Isaac. And then from Isaac, we see Jacob. Jacob then has 12 kids. One of those 12 kids was Joseph who ends up being the second in charge in Egypt. And then there was this great famine, this great drought, and then that entire family relocates to Egypt. Joseph passes on, a new ruler comes in, and then that entire family, once again, remember the lineage is still linked to Abraham. So Joseph passes on, that entire lineage now is staying in Egypt, new ruler comes in, he's like, whoa, these people are weird, they're not my people, he enslaves them. Years passes on and then the population grows up until they complain to God and say, "Flip, we are tired of slavery. God hears their their, their cries and then he frees them and then obviously he promises them that I will take you to the promised land. But before they go to the promised land, this is the promise that God gives to Moses to tell the people while they were in the wilderness. In Exodus um, 19, verse four to five, it says, you have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on the eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me and keep my covenant, you will be my own special treasure from amongst all the people on earth. For all the earth belongs to me, and you will be my kingdom of priests and my holy nation. So, what the, what this scripture is basically saying is God was God's plan was to use the people or the Israelites, and He wanted to make them a holy nation. A nation full of priests. And the idea behind it was when every nation saw that this people were a holy nation, this people were God's people, everyone would have no choice but to say there is a God. And as we read the scripture, actually it gives us a bit of comfort because we get to understand that God is actually true to his word. So when Jesus now says, I am only sent to the lost ship of Israel, He understands that there is a temporary restriction in his ministry. So what does that mean? If you look at the Old Testament, the covenant was, if you obey, uh, I I I will love you and I will obviously protect you if you obey my commands. And those covenants or those laws were first given to the Israelites. Now, if we go to the New Testament, the new covenant is through Jesus Christ. So similarly, because God is faithful to his word, the gospel has to first go to the people of Israel. Whether they use it, lose it, reject it, that's on them. Thereafter comes to you and I. And if you actually read uh, Matthew, Matthew 10, uh, Jesus actually commissions the disciples twice. He initially uh, commissions them in Matthew 10 where he, tell, he sends them two by two and he says, go and minister. But if you read Matthew 10, I think it was 8 or 9, he actually tells them, minister, but actually don't go outside of Galilee. So the same restriction that Jesus had, he obviously gives it to the disciple. But just to clarify, the restriction doesn't mean he doesn't have power. Once again, it's it's scripture reiterating that God is faithful to his word. But then later on, we see how the disciples go and preach two by two, they come back. The gospel is sent to the, the Jews or the Israelites. Jesus obviously dies resurrects now that restriction gets lifted and that famous verse in Matthew 28 where Jesus says now because I've been faithful to my word go and make disciples of all nations so that's what Jesus was trying to say he was not being inclusive or exclusive it's because God in his nature is faithful to his word And then as we carry on, it says, um, the lady continued worship, pleading again, Lord, help me. Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. She replied, that's true, Lord, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. So what is Jesus actually saying here? So food, which is what we explain now, is salvation and hope. That's a picture of salvation and hope. Children is being referred to the Israelites or the Jews. And then at this point in time, dogs were Gentiles. So just to clarify this terminology of dog. So from a Jewish context or from a Jewish person's point of view, when they say dog, they don't see a domestic animal. All they see is this wild beast. That's how they see it. But from a Gentile space, when they look at the word or when they see a dog, some Gentiles actually kept dogs as pets. So they see dogs as a domestic animal and as a pet. So what Jesus was saying was, he was saying, it is not right. And we need to understand, it's not saying he can't do it, but he's saying, it is not right at this point in time to give you the gospel up until I give it to the Jews, or the Israelites. That is what God is saying, or that's what Jesus is saying. It is not right at this point in time, because I need to be faithful to my word to give you what is meant to the Jews first at this point in time. And it's interesting how Jesus, in this context, doesn't use dog as in wild animal. He uses dog as in a pet. And this particular word is key because we see how the faith of this woman is actually pulled out. And then let's see how this woman responds. She says, yes, Lord, that is true, but even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath their master's table. So what this lady is saying is, yeah, I understand. You're right. But guess what? I'd rather be a pet because at least the pet stays inside the house with the children. Unlike a dog that is outside of the house, unlike a wild animal that has to fend for himself, at least I know I get to even have scraps from the family. So she's saying, I rather have scraps than nothing. I rather have scraps of your presence than nothing. I rather have scraps of your mercy than nothing. I rather have scraps of your grace than nothing. A piece of your presence is all that I need. Such a powerful faith we see in this woman. And we see the same faith once again in the Roman um, Roman officer. And once again, he is a Gentile, he wasn't a Jew, where this Roman officer meets Jesus and he says, my servant is sick, uh, please heal him. And we see this beautiful display of faith where he even tells Jesus, you don't have to come. Just say the word and I know he is healed. So if we look at this woman, we, we can say she was faced with silence. She was told that at that point in time, she was not priority. And then thirdly, in the face of what you and I can interpret as insult, this woman was not interested in protocol. We see how her faith supersedes protocol because she had a revelation that this is the son of David. And that revelation allowed it to say, I know that even just a piece of you is more than enough. And just that word protocol, I'm also reminded of the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, In Acts 8, it talks about this Ethiopian eunuch that wanted to meet God or wanted the presence of God. So he travels 3,000 kilometers to Jerusalem. He says, I want to meet God. Once again, protocol says, I need to go find God. But it's interesting how God doesn't find him in Jerusalem. God finds him back on the desert on his way back. And I think the biggest encouragement at this point in time is that God honors faith. I love the fact that as much as Jesus says, yes, I've got this temporary restriction where I need to first give the gospel to the Jews. The one thing that makes him supersede that restriction is faith. I love that. The one thing that supersedes the restriction that he had at the point in time is faith. So we get to understand that faith is something that pleases God. Faith is something that pleases God. Then the last verse says, Dear woman, Jesus said to her, Your faith is great, your request is granted. And her daughter was instantly healed. What is faith? Faith, it is the evidence of things we cannot see. And then the NIV version says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So even though I cannot see it with my natural eyes, through faith I should be able to see it. The lady had not seen Jesus but had confidence in him because she had heard about him. There was a hope in the son of David to bring deliverance, and this lady had absolute confidence in that. What is faith? It is the evidence of things we cannot see. And it is interesting when you actually read the Bible, there's two things that amazes Jesus. Two things. One is great faith. The other one is lack of faith. That's the only two times in the Bible you'll read where it says Jesus was amazed. In Mark 6, verse 5 to 6, it says, He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. What is the big idea? Well, my big idea is pretty much a question. Where is our faith gauge right now? Is it pointing more towards lack of faith or is it pointing towards great faith where is our faith gauge at this point in time so i was tempted as i was asking myself this question i was actually tempted to say uh, i'm probably in the middle and i was quickly reminded of revelations that there is nothing called lukewarm and, and you're either lack or great there is no lukewarm so for those that are wondering what i mean if i read revelations 3 verse 14 to 6. Uh, we had a privilege of actually going through these letters um, last year, but for those that were not with us, I'll quickly explain what this letter says. It says, To the angel of the church in uh, ladocia these are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot, no cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. So just to quickly explain, Jesus reveals himself and he says, I am the amen, meaning and amen means so be it. And he says, I am the faithful, because he's saying faithfulness is who I am. Because that is who I am, I do not tolerate either hot or cold. So I do not tolerate cold, actually. I do not tolerate lukewarm. I rather wish you were hot, because at least that's great, or I rather wish you were cold, because there's that... There's that beautiful saying that saying when you've hit rock bottom, the only way is up. So at least if you're cold, God can do something about it. But if you look warm, you end up living a life of pretense. So we see how, once again, where is our faith gauge? Is it sitting more on the left side or is it sitting more on the great side? And the reason why the scripture bugged me, just to get to why the scripture bugged me. Um, so where I live, we've had some fair share of break-ins. Um, Luckily, the the incidences that have happened, we've had two incidences where, uh, luckily, they were outside of the flat, not necessarily inside um, the flat. Um, And I remember this one time, like three in the morning, Grace was awake, and then she heard some commotion. She looked in the window, and she saw four guys jumping through through the wall. And as we're talking about it, I was like, Flip, this is not right. You know, as, as, as a husband, I'm thinking, Flip, what if these guys come in? How do I get to defend myself how do I get to defend my family then what happened is there was this weird thought that came into my mind that says hey maybe you should get a firearm so quick thought now just before just to explain this is not a preach about whether or not you should get a firearm I'm just trying to explain what happened in my thoughts so this little thought that said maybe get a firearm well luckily the thought went away and I carried on with my life then the thought came back again and I realized I need to address this because I'm trying to understand why is this thought um, coming into to my mind. We just finished a stronghold series that says we need to, we need to take captive all these rebellious thoughts. And as I spent time just to try and understand why I'm having this thought, I realized there was a spirit of fear. In the area of protection, I realized my faith gauge was all the way down to lack And that is why I was personally wrestling with this particular scripture. And I was quite happy that I was able to find this because I know that I need to address this. So, in the area of protection, I found that my lack was sitting, oh, sorry, my faith was sitting in the lack side. And there was this rebuke inside of me to say, if I don't address this, I'm going to spend the rest of my life as a husband, as a father, leading a family from a place of pragmatism as opposed to leading the family from a place of faith in God, in his protection. That was one of the rebukes that I felt um, inside of me. Well, maybe for you, it might not be fear. Maybe for you, areas where you might lack faith would be in the area of healing, either physically, emotionally, could be maybe in an area where you've been seeking employment, you're about to give up, and and you've just lost faith in that, or protection like me, or... There's a a stronghold of guilt or where you're just not secure in your identity. Maybe you lack faith in that. Or either your, your, your kids, family, brother, sister, mother are so far gone from the gospel that you feel there is no hope. Maybe that's where you are or maybe that's where your faith gauge is. So the question then is how then do we move the needle from a place of lack into a place of great? Romans 10 verse 17 says, Faith comes from hearing, that is, hearing the good news about Christ. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the good news about Christ. Now, that passage of scripture that um, Steve read earlier on, where, where the two guys were going to, to Myers, if I said it right, yes, there we go. Jesus actually tells them and he says, Don't you know? that the entire Old Testament is actually about me. So if faith comes from hearing, whether we are hearing the Old Testament, whether we are hearing the New Testament, as long as Jesus is at the center, faith can be stirred, faith can be increased. And i just love to use this simple example of an Old Testament scripture. I want to use a, a, a lady called Rahab. I don't know how many, of you, if you, how many of you guys know a lady called Rahab. So, we see how the Israelites are about to go into the promised land. They're being led by Joshua. So Joshua goes in, there's this city called Jericho, but for him to take siege of this um, city, he doesn't know what he's particularly going to find in the city. So he sends two spies into Jericho just to see what's happening. These two spies meet a lady called Rahab inside of Jericho. So at this point in time, you can see the spies are Israelites. And then this particular lady is a Gentile. And then this is what Joshua 2 verse 8 to 10 says. It says, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord had made a dry path for you. We have heard. We have heard. Once again, faith comes from hearing the good news about Christ and as we continue to hear the good news about Christ we get to have a revelation just to give an idea of how powerful faith is let's just look at this lady Rahab so Rahab when Joshua and the guys took siege of the city they laid it to waste but then Rahab and her family were spared so this Gentile lady found herself now staying with um, the Israelites Rahab became The mother of Boaz. You don't need to remember this name, but Rahab became the mother of Boaz. Boaz married Ruth and they had a child, and that child was called Obed. Obed became a father, and his child was Jesse. Jesse became a father, and his child was King David, the same David that slayed Goliath. We see the power of faith. When we choose to follow faith, when we choose to hear the revelation and we choose to walk by faith and not by sight, we find ourselves walking in a path marked by God as opposed to walking a path marked by men. Rahab walked a path marked by God and it started by her having a revelation through hearing about God. Psalms 119 um, Verse 5 says, your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. So as we hear more and more and more, as we consume the word through teaching, coming to church, discipleship, connect groups, God's path begins to be illuminated. And I love the scripture that Viv read uh, during worship where it talks about when we continue to consume the word, when we continue to hear the word, we are like trees that are planted close to the riverbank, meaning we are always connected to the source of life. And friends, there is no shortcut. There is no shortcut. Faith comes from hearing, and that is hearing the good news about Christ. That is how we move our gauge. And just some observations that I just picked up from this um, scripture, you can call them observations, you can call them lessons, but I think it's just good observations to just share. One of the things we noticed was even in silence, this lady continued to cry out in Jesus. Maybe that's where some of you guys are this morning, where in silence, you you keep crying out to, to, to Jesus, you keep crying out to the Lord, but you are being met with silence. I'd like to encourage you this morning, silence doesn't mean God is ignoring you means there might be something that he's trying to teach you or something that he's trying to pull out of you. Silence is not being ignored. As children of God, our plea at some point in time will be met with silence. And sometimes what we ask for, we might not get, but that is not the point. The point is we trust God irregardless of whether or not he gives us what we ask for. Because through Jesus Christ, we have been given life and life eternal. And then one more thing that was quite interesting there was she was not ashamed to humble herself. Can you imagine being told, hey, at this point in time, you are just not priority. But to still humble yourself is one of the qualities that we see in this lady. And I like how she did not allow anything and anyone to stand in between her and Jesus Christ. And church, I just pray that through hearing more and more, about the word of god that those areas where you lack faith in that your faith gauge will move from a place of lack to a place of great faith and then just to add on there's three gauges that should always be full in our lives brent last week spoke about hope this week i'm talking about faith and the last gauge is love trust me we do not plan this i do not think brent will be preaching about hope maybe we'll talk about love next week i don't know but these three gauges should always be full. Faith, hope, and love. Because these are the three things that remain forever. Kingdoms may come. Presidents will change. I was, reading the book, I was reading a book recently that talks about economies after 50 or 100 years. Shifts, they become different. All those will come and go away. But faith, hope, and love remains forever. Amen? Would you please stand? I'd love to leave you with just this amazing scripture, and I'd just love for you to close your eyes. Um, as I was wrestling through, through this particular scripture, the, the, the scripture that I'm about to read now, I just found so much comfort, and I'd just love to really just um, pray it over you guys as a church. It's Psalms 116, verse 5 to 9. 9. It says, how kind the Lord is, how good he is, so merciful this God of ours. The Lord protects those of childlike faith. I was facing death and he saved me. Let my soul be at rest again. And I think someone needs to hear that this morning. Let your soul be at rest again. Jesus says, come to me, those who are weary, and I will give you rest. Let my soul be at rest again, for the Lord has been good to me. He has saved me from death my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, and so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here forever. So Father, I pray this morning, I pray in whatever areas that we find ourselves lacking in faith, I pray that we, 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 we pursue your word, we pursue the gospel, Because your word reminded us that faith comes from hearing. And the more we hear about the gospel, the more we hear about Jesus Christ, the more our faith is increased. And Lord, as we live faithful lives, Lord, we know that we are able to walk a path marked by you and you alone. And for areas, Lord, where we've been ruled by pragmatism and not faith in you, Lord, this morning I say we repent of that, Lord, and turn back to you. And Lord, for those that probably are hearing your word for the first time this morning, Lord, I just pray, just by them hearing your word this morning, that some sort of revelation, some sort of seed is planted in their hearts this morning. Father, I pray in everything that we do, the different walks of life that we have, that your name be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks, Chaz. Powerful message this morning. And uh, just off the back of that, Revelation 3 is a beautiful uh, piece of scripture to go and read. And, you know, when Jesus speaks to that church and says, you say you have everything you need, but you're hot and cold. And and Jesus says, time that you start buying gold in me, not in things. But I love that we don't have to go on a wild goose chase because at Revelation 3.20 it says, here I stand at the door and knock. Here I stand at the door and knock. And everyone that opens, I will come in and I will dine with them and we will eat as friends. And maybe this morning he's pressing in your heart, maybe this morning he's knocking, he's saying, actually I want you to open your door this morning, and so that I can come inside your life and we can share a meal and be friends. If that's you, we'd love to be praying for you this morning. If anything of Chaz's message stood out to you, that you need some prayer, we'll have a team up front that will be praying for you. Otherwise, tithes and offering boxes at the back, coffee to be enjoyed, let's go and fellowship and have a blessed week. Amen? Amen.